series that we're in is about God stories. It's about what happens when God interacts with man, human beings. What happens is we end up with a life change, a God story. And that God story follows us throughout our life. It becomes a part of our testimony. For some of the people we've been looking at in this series, I know that for the rest of their lives, they brought up these interactions with God. And it was a part of the, the, the story they told to their children and to their friends. And it went with them to their grave, I am sure. And we're going to continue and look at some more stories for the next couple of weeks. And then we're going to shift gears and get ready for Easter. Easter is right around the corner. You know, I'm a hugger. Uh, you guys have noticed that. And I'm a patter on the back. And sometimes I'm a back slapper. And I'm the goober that comes up to a person that's just had like shoulder surgery and goes, Hey, how are you doing? I've done that to Linda and other times. I'm sorry. You're watching online. And she's going, Watch it. I just had surgery. But I'm, I'm a touchy guy, and, and, and uh, I, I know sometimes that can be weird, and it can be uncomfortable to others. I've learned that because having someone touch you can be interpreted a lot of different ways. It can be uncomfortable, or it can be wonderful. Like in one setting, a hug is just what you need. But in another setting, maybe not so much. It's because touch is powerful. It's powerful. It's powerful have someone touch you it's powerful to be touched i mean like right now if i said go find five people and do a little fist pump most of you would be pretty cool with that but if i said go find five people and give them a full frontal face-to-face -face hug that would just get weird because it's like it, it invades our space but of course if it's the right person hugging you it's wonderful if it's a long lost friend or a dad or someone you care about deeply and they grab you up and they squeeze you. My wife talks about remembering her father's hugs to this day. She remembers those hugs and he's passed on and she, she misses those hugs. Touch is a big deal, but yet it can be uncomfortable. Nevertheless, touch is real. You know, when something emotional happens, like you watch a good movie or a lost puppy is found or... You know, you're hearing a story about a family where things work out in some way. We'll say things like, that really touched me. Or we'll say to another person, the situation you're in touches me. When you say something touches you, it means it transcends space and time a little bit. It kind of moves beyond this external experience. And it goes deep inside of you to a place in you maybe that you've lost or maybe that you didn't know was there. And you start feeling things. Some people don't like to feel. When I used to work in the therapy circles, I would oftentimes sit with men who struggled to identify their feelings. They didn't know what they felt. I would say, how did you feel about it when your wife was complaining to you about the problems you guys are having? And he would say, bad. Or say, how did it feel when she came to you the other day and she was so thrilled that you brought her home a gift? How did that feel? Good. I've told you a story before about this wonderful man for whom I made a list of feeling words. And he put them in his pocket. And I said, now when you're talking to your wife, you need to whoop this out and describe a feeling, okay? Like today, I felt lonely and sad because you weren't with me. And then look over at her and see if she responds. Or I felt lost today without you. 
Now, being that this was a big caterpillar driver, the machinery guy, this was a huge event in his life to try to get in touch with those feelings. His wife got so happy, so happy. She says, I love the little card in his pocket. He pulls it out on holidays. He pulls it out when we're struggling. It's wonderful. And he met me one day. We were downtown, and he met me, and he pulled out an offering in his pocket, which I didn't want to accept at all, but of course I did. But anyway, he... Uh, he pulled it out and he said, I got to tell you, man, you've changed my life. Here, go buy yourself some dinner. Well, all, it was nothing, but thank you. <laughs> said, that was the Lord. You should give it to the Lord. But since I'm here, I'll stand in his stead. See, what happened is he got touched by trying to touch his wife, by trying to reach out to her. It, it's beautiful. You know, research has proven that babies in those tragic situations, babies that have not been touched enough, don't develop fully. They, they grow up with emotional and physical struggles. There's a lot of data about this, just holding or touching. Who doesn't want to touch a baby, but sadly there are situations where that's been the case. Touch means something. It means something to be touched in the right way. And our passage in Mark chapter 5 is about the power of touch, especially the touch of God. Touch when God is touching. So we're going to read through it. It's, it's a lot of scripture, but I want to cover it. I think it's important, and sometimes I just tell the story of the scripture, but I want to read through it today because I really want it to sink into your hearts. Are you ready? Mark chapter 5, verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Jesus is very popular during this time in his life. He's a rock star. He would go one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other, touching people's lives. And so he goes, crosses over, and he is swarmed by people honestly. Verse 22 says, One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and Put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Okay? So this man is coming to Jesus and saying, Come touch my child. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I could just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? I love the disciples in verse 31. You see all these people crowding against you, and yet you ask, Who touched me? Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear. And she told him the whole truth. It was me. I've been sick. I touched you. I thought if I could just touch you, just 
touch you, I will be healed. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. More scripture, hang in there. And while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. So why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. Everybody say that, ready? Don't be afraid, just believe. Keep that in mind. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. They're grieving. It's a horrible moment. Twelve-year-old girl has died. He went in and he said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, <laughs> he took the child's father and mothers and the disciples who were with him, and they went in to where the child was. And he took her by the hand, and he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. Now she was 12 years old. And at this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about it and told him to give her something to eat. Jesus is very practical. Feed her. But don't tell anybody that this happened. What a story. What a story. This is a story about touch. story about touch. And, and we're really considering the lives of several people here. Several. There's a dad. There's a mom, too. There's a 12-year-old girl about to become a woman in that culture. And there's this incredible lady who's been sick for 12 years. These two stories are intertwined. They're told this way, they're given to us this way, because that's how God intended it to be, that these stories would connect to each other. One is 12 years old, the other's been sick for 12 years. And they're in the town of Capernaum, most likely. And the guy, Jarius, is an interesting person. He's a sophisticated leader in the Jewish community. He's a part of the leadership in the synagogue. He's lived a good life. When I, when I say good life, he's mean to, he's lived a life where he probably got anything he wanted. And he's raised his daughter probably with everything she ever wanted. She, she got the ponies at the birthday parties and she's been sent to the best schools. and She's had the best food. She's had the best of friends and best of experiences. We don't know a ton about this guy, but I know he was doing extremely well. But here's one thing I do know about a guy like this. It would have been very unusual for a synagogue leader to be in support of Jesus and to go to Jesus for help. A few did, but in fact, most considered Jesus an enemy of the Jewish faith, an enemy. After all, they did kill him. But on this day, whatever his background, he is just a desperate daddy. He's wanting his little girl to find healing. And he's so desperate that in his fine clothes and his incredible, impeccable condition, he falls into the dirt at the feet of Jesus. Now, one thing you don't want to do is fall into the dirt in an ancient Capernaum. There's mud and leftover stuff from animals and dirt and filth. And to fall into the dirt was a incredible act of humility but also desperation desperation he's been hearing about Jesus 
Maybe he's been listening to Jesus from afar. I don't know. Maybe secretly learn about Jesus. Maybe he's following. He's probably been skeptical. But for sure, for some reason, he's going to give Jesus a chance. I love this story. And something in him reaches out to Jesus, which means he's reaching out to God. But the condition that he's in, for sure, is desperation. You ever felt it? When you just couldn't fix a problem, you couldn't get things done, you needed a miracle, you weren't getting one, it's horrible to be desperate, to be hopeless. We get there sometime. This man was there. And so here's the first note already in the message today. It's this. Desperation is a good starting place with God. Remember, God will use any circumstance in our lives to create a God story. Anything that happens. And this one's desperation. But desperation can be the beginning of a God story. Desperation is that place when you get there, you usually have tried everything else and it's not working. Desperation is that place you get to where you recognize you don't have the money or the talent or the friends or the ability to get this problem solved. And we don't like that feeling. We like to be able to pull out of our wallet a card and solve the problem. I remember there were days in my life when money was not so good and I would swipe my card at the Walmart and feel relieved that it went through. You know that feeling? And even to this day when I swipe my card, I go, oh yeah, baby. Even though I know it's covered, I go, how much was that? What did you buy, Beth? 150 Oh, we're good. Desperation is a terrible place to be. Terrible. There's just nothing you can physically or humanly do to solve the problem. See, we spend every day of our lives doing things to fix problems. Every day is a series of problems we solve. We get up, we start a car. If the car doesn't start, we go get it fixed. We go, go to our work and work, and we solve problems all day. If we don't have a job, we go find one, and we take that money we use. And Money is a big part of this. But there are problems that money can't solve. There are problems that power can't solve. There are problems and situations where friends can't solve. doesn't matter how connected you are. To be in this era of life and history and to be a synagogue leader was a very, very good place to be. And he could not heal his daughter. But God can use this moment in his life to change everything. Desperation can the beginning of God's stories. And you may say, well, Rob, that's just someone in pain. You don't want to be manipulative. No, no, listen, understand something. When you're in pain, when you're struggling, when you're in crisis, and you reach out to God to see if that will work, He's interested in that moment. And beyond that, He knows your heart. He knows the condition of your soul. Jeremiah 17 and 10 says something. And this is, this is a big time thing to understand about who God is and how He works. He says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind and give every man according to his ways according to the fruit of his deeds. So God says, no matter when the situation is, no matter what the circumstances are, he has the ability to search the mind and to know the heart. Wouldn't you love to have that gift? That would be great. And he sees, I think, in this man, sincerity and desperation. This is one of those times I believe that God has searched his heart and maybe, just maybe, he sees faith. 
And maybe he sees a man that's on his way to salvation. I don't know. I love the story. But at least he sees a man in crisis willing to give God a chance. This is not manipulation. This is opportunity for God to touch. And human emotions can be tricky. But emotions are part of our lives. God created them and God will use them. And if it's an emotion that draws you to Jesus, he's going to take that and use it. And so Jesus accepts this invitation to go and check out the situation in his life. Now, another part of the gospel says immediately that she has died. And in this one, it says she's dying. But either way, she ends up dying. And it's a desperate and horrible moment. So in this story, this account, while they're walking toward the house, the folks that have been at Jairus' house come and let him know that she has passed. It's horrible. In fact, they say, don't trouble the teacher anymore. See, they're out of hope. It's the end. There's no hope. But Jesus doesn't flinch. Okay, say that out loud, would you? Jesus doesn't flinch. He's sovereign. He's powerful. He's almighty. He's strong. And he's capable. He's capable. And so he says to him, don't be afraid. Just believe. These are big words from Jesus. She's dead, but don't be afraid. Believe in me. And we need to hear those words. Some of you need to hear those words today. You need to be reminded that God says to all of us, don't be afraid right now. Just believe. Just keep believing. Stay in belief. Don't be afraid. Jesus is on the way. Don't be afraid. Jesus is in the house because Jesus makes a difference. You know, we face an onslaught of challenges. And Jesus would always say to us during those challenges, don't be afraid. Believe. Believe. I hope you're seeing a trend in this series about what happens when God interacts with us because what happens with us is just an amazing thing. And in this story, fear has gripped them, concern and dis uh, disappointment and desperation. And because that, that's part of the human story, with or without God, all of those emotions, all of those feelings, suffering is a part of who we are. You cannot avoid it. But here's the thing to remember. God shows up during those times, and he's willing to help. And here's something I want to tell you about fear. Fear is normal, okay? It's just human. You're not sinning when you feel fear, okay? There's a bad guy with a gun in your face. You should be afraid. That's a normal feeling. But Jesus wants us to know that he's got an answer for the fear that is human. And that's trust in him, to trust him in suffering. Just like our friends in, in Ukraine today who are suffering. They're in bomb shelters, they're in subways and hospitals, they're, they're on highways trying to get out of town. They're leaving their belongings behind, not knowing if they're going to have belongings. They don't know where they're going to go, they don't know what they're going to do. They're just going. And in the midst of that, I believe, Jesus is walking around saying, don't fear. Keep believing. Keep believing. We've seen images of these wonderful people and, and the Christians singing to Jesus. And singing the national anthem in some cases and in other cases. Just literally throngs of people singing worship songs and choruses to God. It's touching. Imagine this moment for them. They feel desperate. Imagine this moment for Jairus. This is a God story unfolding for him. His daughter has died while he's rushing to Jesus. While he's trying to do the right thing, 
it gets worse. And that's where a lot of people stop. They'll say, well, I went to church and it didn't get any better. Or I tried and God didn't do it. We always have a reason why it won't work. And for this man, it was this critical moment. He, he had done the right thing and she still died and hope got sucked out of the room. But Jesus still says, don't stop there. Don't stop in the moment of hopelessness. Hopelessness is not your bus stop. He wants to take you farther than that. So he says, keep believing, keep believing, and let the story unfold. Some of us in our lives today, if you're at home online, you're going to be listening to this on a podcast or even in this room. There are stories unfolding right now in your life. You're meeting with crisis. You're meeting with challenges. And, and God has something for you. God bless you. It's a beautiful sign. Anybody else? Again, Jesus is very popular during this phase of his life, okay? Very popular. He went through phases where he was enormously popular, and then there's the season about to come when, when they're going to kill him. But at this point in time, he is a, you know, I hate to say rock star, but he is so popular that when people hear that he's coming, they start waiting in line to see him. And when he walks into town, they just throng around him. Luke uh, 8 and 42 tells it this way. It says, when Jesus was on his way... The crowds almost crushed him, crushed him. That's how, how massive this was, swarming around him, especially when it appeared he was about to perform a miracle. And imagine this scene. There's donkeys and there's camels and there's, there's dust and there's merchants and there's crowd noises and they're growing. And, and maybe some in the background are skeptical. Maybe some of the priests are there heckling, who knows, and, and, and some are weeping at the chance just to see him. It's, these, are, these had to be amazing moments. And I imagine as Jairus comes forth, the crowd probably parts a little, him, a little bit for him, maybe because he's such a significant person in their community, and some of them might even, not even know why he's there. They may think he's there to confront Jesus. Who knows? It's just, but in this case, it's just a desperate man. See, here's the deal. doesn't matter who you are, what you do in life. You're just a human. That's how God sees you first. And so Jesus moves toward the home of Jared, and the crowds go nuts. And some of them are placing bets probably on whether or not Jesus is going to do it. It's amazing. It's craziness. They press him. Jesus walks through. And while one miracle is unfolding, something interesting happens. This other woman comes into the story. This chronically ill lady. Desperate. She has a bleeding issue. It's menstrual bleeding. She's had it for 12 years. You sympathize with that? Now, that may seem weird for us to even talk about it today, but there's an incredible backstory here. And remember, this is a different time in history when women are considered property. They were valued for their ability, honestly, to serve and to have children. I'm sorry, don't throw things at me. But there's so much more to this story. And so for her to be on cycle, we might say, and in the Jewish faith system, that meant on cycle, in a cycle, meant that you were considered unclean. Unclean. It meant it was intended to be temporary, of course, but you would be unable to take part in synagogue life or have a relationship with your husband. So it's a burden to go through this time of the month, but imagine 12 years of it. 
and you would be separated from others. According to Leviticus, she was ceremonially unclean. She could not touch others. She could not be touched. Others could not touch her clothes, couldn't touch her bed. She's banished. This was a normal part of life. And so when it stopped, they went through a period of cleansing, another period of seven days, and, and she had to present an offering of two turtle doves to the priest, to everybody, all kinds of things. And it sounds just crazy to us. But if her condition continued, the husband was authorized by the Jewish church to divorce her. So I'm almost certain she's divorced. She's been paid something. And she's run out of all of her money. She's exhausted the physicians, her money, trying to find healing. She couldn't. She's struggling. And she's lost. And she's lonely. And she's without hope. And she's desperate. And she's a perfect candidate for a God story. Perfect. Perfect. And for some reason, see, we don't know this part, she comes to believe that if she could just touch Jesus, she's not asking Jesus to touch her. She's saying, if I can just touch him, I'll be healed. Everything is going to be all right. I love that. That gets to me. Touch is what she's missed for years, 12 years. Been put away. Horrible. No kindness, no inclusion. And she's saying in her mind, I don't need to bother Jesus. I'm not going to ask him anything. I'm not even going to tell him I'm there. I, I just want to touch him. Because if I touch him, I have hope. That's desperation. That's also unworthiness. See, on the one hand, there's this wealthy guy that goes right up to Jesus. Now, he kneels down before him. But, you know, he has no problems going in and talking to the Messiah. You're the one that can help my daughter. Yet, here's this other person this sidelined woman who doesn't even want to be seen. You ever felt like that? I don't even want to be seen. But I want to touch. This woman who feels unentitled, unworthy, just hopes. And see, here's the thing you got to know about this wonderful story. God loves everybody in the story. Both people. God cares about the rich and the confident, and he cares about the poor and the broken. You know, it's hard to admit when you're broken. It's hard. It's hard to admit. But both are sheep to Jesus who need a shepherd. And Jesus wants to claim one. And I want you to hear this. This is in your notes if you want to write it down. No one is unlovable to God. No one. This crazy culture that they had that would exclude people for going through situations like that and consider them unclean, they did it for religious reasons. But the psychological damage was deep and horrible. And you can come to feel like in your psychological damage that you're unworthy, that God doesn't love you, that God doesn't want you. He wants, he wants the rich guy, the Jarius is, but not you. And for 12 years, people have treated you not like something wonderful to have, something that we're not even going to touch. But here's the beautiful thing about God. There is a way to experience the love of God. And the way we experience it is with faith. Faith. Stubborn, powerful, almost rude faith that says, I'm going to go touch him. What, what made her do that? 
She hadn't heard a preacher tell her that. There's no TV preachers. There was no book at the bookstore that said, if you'll just go and touch him. There was a movement in here, something, desperation. And maybe God speaking to her soul, saying, go, touch him, touch him. You'll get your healing. But it was faith that pushed her to find the love of God. Belief is how we do this, guys. Belief is so important, believing in God. So here's the next note if you want to write it down. Faith is what we use to touch God. Okay? Her touching Him was about faith. She found faith, and it was minimal faith. Just touch His clothes. And she was healed immediately. I mean, that's what the Bible says. Immediately. It was all gone. I love that. And I love how Jesus responds. I mean, He knows what's going on, but He stops and goes, Who touched my clothes? I love that. He shows an interest in getting to know this woman. He wants to see her. He wants to meet her face to face. I love this. And of course, again, he knows who she is, but I love that he makes this moment of her healing significant. God's stories happen because God really does love you. He really does love you. You can feel unlovable, you can feel discarded, but he really loves you. And Jesus makes a big deal of this moment. What? Who touched me? And he's not being all caring about it, you know. What? Somebody touched me. That's not what it was. He wants to meet her. Don't you love Jesus? He's so good. And so he loved her, and he wanted to engage with her because she had exercised faith. So faith will get you engaged with God. Faith is what we use to touch God. It's belief. That's what Jesus is saying. Faith takes us beyond our fear. So here's another note. Fear is human, but faith is supernatural. So when you exercise faith, you're walking in a spiritual realm. Okay, You're stepping out of humanness, and you're, you're moving into the heavenly circles as you learn to use faith. 2 Corinthians 5 and 7 says, We walk by faith, not by sight. See the juxtaposition? Sight is human. Faith is supernatural. So when you exercise faith, any kind of faith, any kind of faith, if I can just get to church today, if I can just get somebody to pray for me today, whatever it is, faith, 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 God uses that. And the minute you're using faith, you're walking in a supernatural realm, which allows you then to connect with a supernatural God. And let me tell you something. How great is our God? We don't even know. There are no books that could be written that could espouse the theological importance and power and significance of God. We don't even know. My professor in seminary said, you know, I've got a textbook here called Systematic Theology. This is just a stab. We don't even know how great, how great is our God. Don't even know. But when you exercise faith, you get to meet Him. And you get to walk around in his spiritual living room. Guys, some of you need to exercise faith today. You need to pull that faith up in your life and start believing in things that you can't see. And the disciples are so awesome here. I love it. You know, they start, Jesus, come on, dude, there's all these people around you, and you're saying somebody touched you, excuse me. See, most of the time we don't know what Jesus is thinking. We don't know what God is doing. That's just the way it is. And if you've got a person that always knows what God is up to, be suspicious of that person. Just be suspicious. Oh, the Lord told me this about you. The Lord told me. 
I, I remember I had a lady like that in my church, and I said, well, I wish she would tell me. But perhaps I need to start calling you more often. I'm sorry, I did not say that. He says to her, daughter, this is a big statement. I want you to take it in. Verse 34. Here's what he said to her. Daughter, your faith has healed you. That's a big statement. He said, your faith healed you. I don't know, we can theologically unpack that. But he's trying to say is you connected to the healer through your faith. Faith transcends. Faith can keep you from even asking God for help. Faith, uh, a fear rather, can keep you from even asking God for help. And, and fear can keep you from asking something of God one more time or believing. You ever had those prayers? You just keep praying the same prayer? One more time, I'm asking the prayer. But faith is what we use, guys. It transcends this human frame, this human place. So here's a, a note, and many of you know this. But let me be a good pastor today and just remind you of something you've heard many times, that faith drives out fear. That's important. Faith. I believe. Jesus literally tells you, your faith healed you. That's such an interesting statement to me. He didn't say, I healed you. I mean, he could. But he partners with her. And he says, it's because you're willing to believe that you're healed. Being willing to believe is a big deal, my friends. So in, in this story, in all the cases, both of the individuals are considered unclean. And when the, the, the child dies, do you know in that culture too, this other weird thing, she's now untouchable by a common person. If you touch her to prepare her body for death, you have to go through a ritualistic cleaning. So nobody touches dead people in those cultures except those that are going to actually bury them. This child is now unclean. The woman is unclean because of this blood hemorrhage. Both are untouchable. Both. Both. But not to Jesus. You are not unclean to him. He is perfect and powerful. He took her hand and he spoke to her. I love that so much. Speaks to a dead body. Grabs the hand of a dead body and says, get up. But remember, neither one of these should have been touched. Yet God touches, or he allows one to touch him. See, here's the deal. God touches the good and the bad. He touches the worst. He touches the best. He's a toucher. He's a toucher. So when I touch you, I'm being godlike. Okay, that's no, that's not true. But, but God's a toucher. I think he would be a hugger. If Jesus were here, I think he'd be running around trying to meet and, and touch people physically, but mostly with their lives. So let me say this in important note. God will touch the good and the bad. And here's why. Because anyone can believe. Anyone. You can believe. Anyone. Anyone can believe. Even people who never believed before can start believing in a moment of desperation. Even the person who never gave God a chance can come to that moment where they give God a chance. Anyone who's in a desperate condition, or even if you're healthy and in an arrogant condition, 
both of you can use the same ingredient to find their story, and that story is faith and belief. Rick mentioned I had the privilege of visiting with a wonderful 84-year-old man this week who's in hospice care in his home. It was a delightful visit, if, if, there, if you'd allow me to put it that way. He has cancer. It's bought, brought him to his last days. And this man used to be a part of this church. And uh, in fact, it was in his 30s. So that would be late 70s, 60s, maybe. It was on this property in the old building that he accepted Jesus as his savior right here on this place I really liked him he's an artist guy like me and he was a Bible teacher here at Harmony taught some of you that were there Sunday school and I related to him in so many ways we laughed I shared scripture we prayed I'm gonna tell you something love just filled the room his wife his daughter myself and, and here's what I observed he and his family are in pain. There's no doubt. It's present. It's tough. But there was no desperation. Do you hear me? There was no desperation. Because there was hope. Hope because of the presence of Christ. The mere presence of Christ, the mere touch of Christ makes even moments like that manageable. See, here's the day. For the four of us that were in the room, salvation has come to all four people. And as we visited, I, I ask each one, how did you find the Lord? How did you become a believer? I ask each one to tell me. It was powerful. He did it here. His wife did it at another church called Harmony. And his daughter did it at Camp Joy as a child. Everybody had a story. And I just listened and my heart filled up with joy as I became a brother to them. All of that happened because of the presence of Christ. And see, here's the difference between his story and their story. The difference is when the touch came. See, his God story was, I was touched by God 50 years ago. And it's made all the difference, Rob. I've lived for him. I've had a good life. I'm okay. No desperation. His wife is smiling and believing that God's will is going to be done. His daughter is doing the same. How does that happen? It happens because Christ's touches can last a lifetime. A lifetime. God's stories last a lifetime. So Jarius... As the days went on, I don't know what happened. I don't know if he quit his job at the synagogue and they helped start a church. I don't know, but that man's life changed and he showed up and did some changing. But let me tell you what, I know somewhere along the way, he's telling people, that man Jesus, you guys need to shut up. He healed my daughter. And that sweet little lady who found wholeness, probably went past her ex-husband and was doing some of this. Oh, look at what you're missing. Because I'm a holy woman of God now. I'm going to start attending Wednesday night ladies Bible study at Harmony Church. And you ain't coming. God's stories last forever. Would you bow your heads? Thank you so much, God, for your willingness oh, to let us touch you. 
I want to touch you today, Lord. And thank you, God, for touching us. Your touch is so important, God. And so, Lord, we bring to you our emotions today, our broken hearts, our desperate feelings, our fears, our illnesses. And we ask you to touch. And God, help us today, each one, to know that we have something that allows us to touch you. And that's called faith.